Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment. Yes, another Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope today finds you doing extremely well, because, my friends, we have some rough days ahead of us. It seems that Supreme Court done what my mom used to say showed the ass this last week for sure they struck two blows at us that really hurt and we might be down a little bit but we're not out and as far as I am concerned that Supreme Court is nothing but racist in robes them are Donald Trump's people he put them in there to do exactly what they are doing what he calls making America great again well I'm sorry but of all the history books I have ever read I have never read where it was great so it seems like the HBCUs will be stacked this year but that's alright because we'll give them a little money to keep going since we no longer have affirmative action behind us. And that Negro Thomas on the Supreme Court, and that's what I call him, a Negro, if it was not for affirmative action, he would not be where he is today. But yet, he'll follow Trump and the Republican Party. But their lies about us don't work anymore. We know who we are. We are descendants of people stretching back to the dawn of humanity. We have rich cultures, language, traditions, and histories. We don't need their respect or approval. And above all else, we are Africans. We don't need them. They need us. And right about now, we're going to slip into darkness and I'm going to tell you something about their hidden craziness. You know, my friends, with all the craziness going on with the Supreme Court this week, this year marks the 100th anniversary of the Rosewood Massacre. Now, Rosewood sounds like a beautiful name of a town, and it would have been if it wouldn't have been full of hatred and bigotry. Something that DeSantis down in Florida is trying to dig up once again. You see, hundreds of whites descended upon Rosewood, an all-black community in Florida, intent on wiping out any trace of the town and its people. On New Year's Eve day in 1923, a white woman in nearby Sumner had accused a black man of assaulting her. And we all know that story that has always been the sucker punch. And once again, the hunt for her supposed assailants led a posse of whites to Rosewood. But the residents there were apt to defend their homes, and the firefight left several of the white attackers dead. But in retaliation to that, even more white men poured into Rosewood, intent on its destruction. A lot of our people fled to the swamps, 
but those who could not were murdered by the mob, which also set fire to every building in town, save for the home of John Wright, a white man. Those who escaped made their way to the relative safety of Gainesville, but many would be haunted for the rest of their lives by the horror they had witnessed. Now, my friends, it's important that we talk about what happened at Rosewood and the specific individual stories of both those who perished and those whose lives were forever changed in January 1923. But in doing that, we must also realize that the story of Rosewood is in many ways not unique. Just in recent years, many of the public even a large percentage of our own brothers and sisters have just come to learn about other similar massacres, like in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898, in Elaine, Arkansas in 1919, or in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. And these were full-scale attacks on black communities in the United States between the end of the Civil War in 1865 and the Great Depression of the 1930s. We know about the Red Summer of 1919, and the violence that was perpetrated in Rosewood broke out in dozens of cities across the country. As a matter of fact, Rosewood wasn't even unique in the scope of Florida history. Seven years before Rosewood, in 1916, at least six African Americans were lynched in Newberry. And four years later, in 1920, dozens of black Floridians were killed in Osea on election night. And less than a month before Rosewood, whites murdered black residents of Perry, Florida, and burned down black homes and community institutions. Hatred. Hatred, my friends, that is evil hatred at its finest. And you know, that Rosewood story follows a pattern that we see elsewhere of white women's accusations against black men that has escalated into a full-scale assault by a white mob against an entire black community instead of just the person that was accused. An entire community was murdered or dispersed, and material evidence that it had ever existed was destroyed. The fact that this started with the accusation that a black man had assaulted a white woman is important because the idea that this kind of violence was necessary to protect white women was the center to the story that whites, and especially Southern whites, told themselves and each other about why the kind of violence was both necessary and justified. And we know damn well that this was a lie. Three decades before Rosewood, Ida B. Wells showed that it wasn't that white women were being threatened by black predators. It was that the institutions of white supremacy were being threatened by black people and black communities that were standing in their power. In Elaine, it was black farmers organizing to get fair wages. In Ochoa, it was black citizens clawing back the political power they were denied under Jim Crow. And in Tulsa, it was black Oklahomans 
who had built a community so economically prosperous that it was nicknamed Black Wall Street. And throughout the red summer, it was black veterans who were returning from war to make the world safe for democracy and determined to make the United States live up to its own democratic promise. Rosewood is exceptional, though, because it's the only black community where reparations were actually paid to survivors. This happened in Florida through a bill passed by the legislature in 1994 that granted $150,000 to each of the living survivors. But that wasn't enough, and it was much lower than the survivors had hoped to get. But it was something. And do you know why it was made possible? Because people told the truth about what had happened in Rosewood. There it is, my friend. The truth is going to win out no matter what. When all is said and done, the only things that's going to be left standing is the moon, the sun, and the truth. On one hand, a team of historians assembled research into a report on the massacre, and on the other hand, a handful of survivors described not only the horrors they had witnessed, but how they and their families had been permanently scarred by what they had endured. But thinking about the role that historians and historical testimony played in getting some measure of justice for Rosewood survivors, it's hard not to also think about the way that lawmakers in Florida and a handful of other southern states are trying to screw the teaching of history away from any topic that might undermine the idea that we have ever been anything but great. They threaten educators who even come close to challenging the narrow line of thinking when it comes to events like Rosewood. These attempts to short-circuit discussions are about more than just scoring political points. In a larger sense, recognizing this history makes it clear to us that the way things are is not the way things have to be. The parts of the country that are entirely white aren't that way because people like to be with their own kind, but because people are driven out of places like Rosewood and because other African-Americans saw what had happened there and elsewhere and decided it just wasn't safe to be around white people. The suburbs weren't full of white people because black people didn't want to live in them. It was because there was an entire architectural of policy and practice, including violence, that kept the suburbs that way. And like we have discussed before, we have a massive racial wealth gap in this country, partially because black people were disposed of their property through violence. The true study of history not the veneration of some glorified past threatening to people who want to maintain the status quo. Because studying history means seeing the past not taken and opportunities foreclosed. It means being able to imagine a present that is better than the one we're living in today. A one that's trying to turn back the time on history. Turn us back to the 1940s and the 50s. 
Jim Crow is dead, my people. And let's make sure that he stays dead. It seems this country has lived in a state of amnesia for far too long. My friends, we took a gut shot from the Supreme Court this week. I mean a real solid gut shot. And we're mad and we're upset, but we're not out. We're down to the eight count, but we're not out. In the 60s, we had to show them who we really were. And it seems in 2023, we are showing them who we want to be. And that is an imitation of them. And I, for one, am glad to see the natural hairstyle come back to our people. If we have to go through our neighborhoods and collect up the people to take them to the voting booth, we will do that. We will not let the Supreme Court break us like they are trying to do because we have more knowledge than we had back in the 60s. We know what they're doing to Africa today. We know that we have more pregnant black women dying in the hospitals today than white women. We know that they do not want to teach black history, which is American history in our schools. So mentally, we're a lot stronger than we were in the 60s. So we're in for the long fight. And remember this, my friends, before I go. Desire makes slaves out of kings. And patience makes kings out of slaves. Have a good day. And until next time, it's been my honor.